We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 7 through 21. I was going to do something really funny, but I don't think Brian's in the room, is he? Brian, is Marbury in the room? Okay, well, just picture if Brian was up here with me and Richard Self. Have you all noticed that we all look alike? And I've, I've heard that we've been getting confused, so just drink me in right now. This, <laughs> I am Clay Ackeson. This is what I look like. Richard looks like Richard. He's a bigger version of me, and I can say that because I love him, and he loves me. And by I mean that, I mean he's much taller than I. And then, and then Brian and I, I'm 10 days older than Brian, so I've got that on him. Uh, but yes, we all kind of look alike. We're all bald. We all have beards. But we're different people, guys. I feel like baldism is becoming an issue in our church, and I just really would hope for we work through that together. Anyways, just wanted to get that out real quick. All right, first John, have you noticed in our culture that we love everything? Have you noticed this? I mean, we say we love everything. Love describes everything that we do. We're like, I mean, look, I love God. God saved me when I was four years old, baptized at seven, prodigal season in middle school and high school and early college. Then God drew me back to him by his grace. And, and I love God for the work that he's done in my life. I love my family. I love my wife, Mandy. We've been married 15 years. 15 years this saint of a woman has put up with me and, and, and somehow still loves me. And we have three kids, Seth, Asher, Stella. I love them very, very much. But guys, during the pandemic, I got a smoker. And you know what? I love my smoker. Can I get an amen? Yeah, because Hunter got one too. And so we all, yeah, the smoker is awesome. Guys, it will transform your life. You want to know why? Because you'll start cooking more and then your wife will love you more. She will. She's like, oh my gosh, who is this man who wants to cook dinner and everything on the smoker? The smoker is amazing. I love it. It has transformed my life in many ways, which is super sad to like say out loud, but it's true. Uh, it's true. I, I love the beach. I love that we live in Birmingham and we can get to the beach super quick and we can experience the love of God sitting underneath an umbrella, doing nothing, staring at the water. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because you either love or hate the beach. You're like, I hate that. Well, hey, guess what? We're not far from the mountains either. And you can go up and get in the mountains and experience God if that's your thing. And, you know, I hear people say, I love the mountains. You know, I mean, I love fast food, which is bad for you. But my fast food of choice is going to be probably Taco Bell. And it's even worse for you because it's probably not even real. Uh, but I, I enjoy it anyway, and don't judge me. Uh, the point is, when we say we love everything and we blast it all at the same level, it's like we really don't love anything. If we love everything, we really don't love anything. We've watered down this word so much that I can say in the same breath, I love God and love Taco Bell somehow. Uh, that's different kinds of love, but we watered it down. We love everything in our culture. But I want us to see this morning here in the passage of Scripture that God is love, that it's deep in who he is, and from his heart flows love to us through specifically Jesus Christ and his gospel to us, and that then his love, once we experience it in Christ, will flow to those around us. So that's what we're going to hear in this passage. And so let's read it together. First uh, John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we'll stop here real quick. This kind of ties into what Michael was talking about last week about test the spirits, right? What's of God, what's not of God. He's saying very clearly here a mark of a Christian 
someone who knows God is that if we've been born of God because God is love, then we know God. And then it goes on and says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we'll see this morning, this passage really sets up from this point. It's kind of a little diagnostic test in our lives. You know, are we loving people the way that God loves us? If we look at the way we're loving people, does it reflect God's love for us? Because God is love and we've been born of him if we are Christians and we are in him. The passage goes on. And this is love. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that God, that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we look at this passage today, there's really three things I want to highlight Uh, from this. The very first thing is God is love. We see it twice in the passage and that he specifically shows his love or manifests his love to us in sending Jesus, his son, that we might live in him. Next, we'll see when we abide or we live in God's love, it confirms our faith, giving us assurance now and for the future. And then lastly, God's love in us overflows first to our brothers and sisters in Christ And then we put that love on display for the world to see. So let's start with God is love. It's right there in the very beginning of the passage. And and I want to draw out that it doesn't say that God just is loving. It says that God is love. That at the deepest core of who God is, he is love. It's a lot like saying that another definitive statement about God, right? That God is holy, right? And it's hard for us to to just single out sometimes because we're finite beings. You know, if I say like, you know, Michael is love, and if you know him, it's true. He loves people so well. Uh, But there's so many other things that define Michael. But the thing about God that's interesting is God is love, and he's holy, and he's 100% all these things all the time. And so God is love. It flows from who he is. It's who he is at his deepest heart. I want to draw us back to a passage in the Old Testament to point this out. Because a lot of us struggle with God is love or God is gracious, especially in the Old Testament. And so I want to show that God is consistently who he is through all the testaments of Scripture. 
And then he comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But we'll go back to a story with Moses in Exodus. Uh, It's in chapter 33, 18 through 23. It'll be on the screen. And then we'll read 34 through 5 through 6. Remember, this is when Moses asked to see his glory. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not be seen." Then in 34, 5 through 6, the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. Listen to this. Moses is like, show me your glory. Show me the essence of who you are. I want to see it. And he says, you literally can't see it or you're going to die, but I'll cover you up. I'll let you see my glory that passes before you. And then I'm going to proclaim to you my name. And then look at the name of the Lord. The way that we have a Lord who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger is because he is a God of love. He's a God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Psalms are full of this. The Psalms are full of times where the psalmist says, you are a God who is loving, steadfast love, and faithful. This is at the core of who God is. This is his name. This is who he wants to lavish upon us, who he is and what he's done for us. Michael Reeves, in his book um, called Delighting in the Trinity, says this, The God who is love is the Father who sends his Son. To be the Father means to love to give out life, to beget the Son. Before anything else, for all eternity, this God was loving and giving life to and delighting in His Son. So we see that even before the creation of time, this is who God is. That God is Father, and that He was loving the Son through the Spirit, and they were existing in perfect, loving community with each other. And the greatest thing that this God could do is to create a people to experience His glory to experience his love, to live in community with him. This is what this God wants to do. So our God, he sends the Son to be, as the passage here says, the manifestation of God's love is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says that he is like him exactly in all of nature, that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. This is the person of Christ, and he is sent by this Father who is loving. He sends his Son to be the tangible manifestation of God's love in his person and in his work. So Jesus, the Son, who's being lavished upon love before the foundations of time, comes in this great love to a broken, falling, rebellious creation that he loves, right? John 3.16, why did Jesus come? Because he loved the world. And that he came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Or in this passage, it says that he came to manifest the love of God that we might live through him. 
And so we see that Jesus comes and he puts on flesh and blood to identify with his creation. He, he puts on flesh and blood and he walks amongst us. And think about this. The God who couldn't show himself to Moses wraps on flesh and blood and shows himself to everybody. Isn't that amazing? He comes fully God, fully man, to show us what God looks like, what his character is like, what his nature is like. That's amazing that our God loves us so much that he would send his son to make us fully alive, to make us fully human. And so Jesus does this in his person, but he also does this for us in his work, in his gospel. It says here in verse 10 that in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't. 33 and a half years, perfect life. And then he not only lived this perfect life for us, but that's what qualifies him to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus, fully fulfilling the law we could not, coming for sinners, goes to the cross on our behalf. In this great love, he takes on our death. He becomes the propitiation or substitute for our sins. He comes and he perfectly fulfills the wrath of God against sinners that's poured out on Jesus. And he dies a sinner's death, though he had no sin. And then he died a real death. He died because that's what sin is born of. Sin breeds death. He takes that death on our behalf, and then in his great love, the grave can't hold him. And he rises three days later, and he conquers Satan's sin and death, and he offers life to those who would believe in his name. And not just believe in his name intellectually, but know in their hearts that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and this Jesus Christ, Son of God, has come to do something about it. Is anybody feeling me out there? I got people just staring at me. This is something to get excited about. This is the good news of the gospel, the love of God that's been lavished on us through Jesus Christ. I know what some of you are thinking. I know the gospel, Clay. Why do you keep talking about it? Because we keep forgetting it. We forget it every day. How many? Read this passage. It's super repetitive, right? He's like, God is love. Abide in his love. Hey, how do we know we're in God? Because we abide in his love. Hey, how do we? Hey, remember you were love first. I mean, it's a repetitive passage, and he's writing to Christians, and he's doing this because we forget this so easily. So easily forget the love of, of God expressed through Jesus Christ, manifest and shown to us through his person and work, and that now Jesus is ruling and reigning, and he's alive in heaven right now, and we can trust him. We can trust him with our life. We can come to him with all of our sins, with all of our struggles, with all of our baggage, and we can lay it down at the cross because he's already taken it on there anyway. And then we get to receive from him what? The love of God, life, righteousness. God's perfect, Jesus' perfect record is now counted to us. That's unbelievably good news that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it comes through the love of God expressed through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that in him there can be life. Our life is to be centered upon the gospel. Our life is to be centered upon the love of God found in Jesus Christ. That that's the center of our lives. That it actually affects the way I live. What I believe about God affects the way that I live out what I believe about God, right? What we believe shapes what we do and how we live. It says that we become and have true life found in Jesus Christ. That 
because of my relation to Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, that that shapes my marriage. That my marriage is a gospel issue. It shapes my parenting. It shapes my job. It shapes my friendships. It shapes every single thing about me. And am I experiencing true life in Christ? And am I experiencing God's love that then flows to my neighbors? Flows to the brothers and sisters, as it says in this passage. Am I experiencing God's love in such a way that I'm finding life in Christ and centering upon it in such a way that it's expressing itself in love for neighbor? That's what he has come to do for us. So how do we do this? How do we live in God's love? Well, he says it a bunch of times in this passage. He says to abide. And we sang it earlier. Verse 13. We know this, that if we abide in him, he is in us because he's given us his spirit. The spirit of God is now dwelling inside of us. He has given us the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is He doing? He is primarily applying the gospel to our lives. He's applying all Christ has done. He's applying the love of God to our lives. How do I know that? Look at Romans 5.5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit's desire is to pour out the love of God in my heart that I might really really believe it at the core of who I am. And that if I believe it at the core of who I am and it shapes my life, that I would remain and abide in God's love in such a way that it would then extend to those around me. The Holy Spirit's desiring to pour this out. So when we're engaging the Spirit and what He wants to do in our lives, we usually do this through what we call spiritual disciplines or means of grace, whatever you want to call it. But the point of it is to experience the love of God. That we read our Bibles in the morning not to check off our quiet time off a list or to impress God that we read his word today, but that we might experience this God of love in the pages of the scripture that it might change my life. That I might relate to this God of scripture through the person of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit working in my life to believe this gospel is real. And it's not just a thing we believe intellectually but it's found in the person of Christ. I have a relationship with God. Our spiritual disciplines aren't a religious checklist to impress God or to stay in his graces. They're to experience it. They're to experience God, to experience his love. The Holy Spirit's desiring to pour out the love of Jesus Christ into our hearts in such a way that we would abide in him, that we would believe it. And so, you know, this last year has been weird for a lot of us. And as I took a spiritual account of my life recently and my disciplines and my love for the Lord and what he's doing in my life, I just found myself to be a little stale. Anybody else willing to admit that? Felt a little stale and I didn't like it because that means I'm not experiencing the love of God. I'm not living in the gospel and I need to come back to that reality again and again and I need help for this. I can't do it on my own. And so I was listening to a podcast that a friend of mine who's a pastor in Jonesboro, Arkansas on there, and he was talking about how he's leading other pastors and leaders around the country in personal renewal. And I was like, ooh, I could use some personal renewal. I know this guy. He's like, I got one spot left, one spot left in my cohort. And I'm like, okay, I've got to do this. But then I had that battle in my heart. You ever have that? Where like God's leading you to do something, you don't want to do it? And so I'm like, okay, I've got to do it. So I text Chuck. I'm like, Chuck, I got to do this. He's like, all right, you're in. 
And so I've been personally trying to renew in some disciplines, and it's about how to lead your life in personal renewal. And so we have a prayer partner every other week. We're on Zoom talking about the love of God, experiencing the love of God, talking about the spiritual disciplines that we're doing, how we're experiencing God in the midst of it. One of my practices this week is to sit for five minutes and try to hear the Lord. Now, I've never audibly heard the voice of the Lord, but to hear the Lord in my heart say this is true of me, that I see you and that you are fully loved and accepted. That's it. Why is he making us do that? Because at the core of who I am, I will walk out of this room today and leave it in here. I'll forget it. And I'll immediately go out there with all the pressures and all the things going on. I won't abide in what we're experiencing in here. And I'll try to go do it all on my own. And experience brokenness, experience lifelessness, experience idolatry in my life. If I don't root myself and ground myself in the abiding love of God for me. Look at verse 16. It says that, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. My question is, have you really come to know and to believe the love that God has for you? Because it's real, because God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This abiding language, or maybe your passage, your copy of scripture says remain. It's, to, it's about remaining or living in a fixed perpetual state of God's love for us. How do we abide in God's love and engaging with the work of the Spirit, trying to keep ourselves in the love of God? This is the work of faith. This is the work of our disciplines. This is the work of our Bible reading that we would experience God and his great love and grace to us through Jesus Christ. This abiding language is really an echo back to John and his gospel in chapter 15. John and his gospel in chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do something. Anybody got a problem with that? Nothing. Thank you. There's a few people like a pastor said something wrong. I don't know if I can engage right now. Uh, yes, you can. But our temptation is, I can do something apart from God. I can do something without abiding. I'm pretty good. I can produce this fruit off the branch. I can make it happen. It's our temptation, right? But he says that if we abide in the vine, Jesus Christ, he says, I am the vine. If we abide in his gospel, his person work for us, his love for us, that if we abide in him, it is he that bears much fruit. You know what that says? That I can't produce spiritual fruit in my life. That the Lord is the one who produces spiritual fruit in my life. And now that doesn't mean that I do nothing. That means that I fight to believe this is true. That I work through my spiritual disciplines to experience God's love in such a way that I'm abiding in him. And then he starts producing the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Does anybody know what the first fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians 5? Love. One could argue that all the rest of the spiritual fruits come from that. Paul says that of faith... And love and hope, what's the most important? Love. Jesus says that we will be known for our right doctrine. No. Love, thank you. It's, it's a resounding same answer. I thought this was going to be easy. I'm leading you. It's the same thing every time, but that's okay. We'll work on it. Um, but yeah, to abide in his love. 
This is what we're trying to do. Uh, look at Jude 20. It'll be on the screen. But you, beloved, there's that beloved language again, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. You see this? This is from Jesus' brother. He says to keep yourself through praying in the Holy Spirit, building up your faith. I think you could just go ahead and say abiding. If we are abiding in him, we are keeping ourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So really, you could argue that the Christian life is a, is a life of abiding. It's a work of abiding in the gospel to believe this and to live in it by the Holy Spirit. Let him minister this gospel to us that then overflows in how we live out the gospel with one another. Interesting here in uh, verse 17, it says this, uh, By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So abiding in the love of God gives us confidence in where our hope is found. Abiding in the love of God grounds us in the gospel and the hope that we have in it, because what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to just take credit for all the fruit in our life. We're tempted to say, look at all the great stuff I've done for you, Jesus, right? I mean, I, I do this. This is my conversation. I'm pretty good, God. Look at what I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, but you're doing it in your own power and ability because you think you're pretty awesome. And I got news for you. You're not awesome. If you're, if you're in my Mount Laurel sermon last week, you make the connection there. Anyways, uh, so what I'm saying is we need to abide in Jesus and, and fight to keep ourselves in the love of God and allow him to produce the fruit off of our vine, off of the branch, right? And that so many times we're tempted to find our blessed assurance in our fruit. Now, again, fruit's good. We want to bear fruit. But I was in a church in Little Rock and I started asking people, hey, how do you know that you're saved and going to be forever with God in eternity? The very, and these are seasoned leaders in our church. They immediately jump to fruit. Now, fruit can be a sign that you're rooted in the gospel, right? If the fruit looks like the fruits of the Spirit in your life, you know that's not being produced through you, but you are abiding in the vine, and your branch is producing spiritual fruit. So you can look at the fruit and see what the root of it is, right? But sometimes we are so enamored with the fruit, and, what, and that we start to take credit for the fruit, and we start to think that our blessed assurance is in the fruit off of our branch, and I don't know if you've done this before. I know I have. When I start looking to how well I'm loving God, how strong my faith is, how well I'm loving those around me, and I start measuring those things by my own ability to do them and to take credit for them, my assurance is anything but blessed assurance. It's shaky at best. So if you're looking for assurance for the day of judgment, like this passage says, then we have to abide in the one who's provided it already for us freely. Jesus has done all the work for us. We abide in his person and work, in his great love, and that that produces fruit and change in our life. But we have to make sure that our hope is not just in the fruit being produced, but that that fruit is rooted in Jesus Christ. And that we don't take credit for the spiritual things that he's doing in our life but that we can see the fruit in our life and say, praise be to God that I, I love that person the way Christ loved me because I don't get that right every time. 
Praise God that I woke up this morning and I had a desire to be in God's word, not to check it off the list because I need him because apart from him, I can do nothing. And we abide in the love that he has for us and it produces in our life this blessed assurance. Assurance of our salvation is in Jesus Christ and his person and work. Assurance that we're his right here. It says if we are abiding in his love, we're his. We can't be separated from him. We have assurance on the day of judgment that if you're in Christ Christian on the day of judgment... There's no wrath for you. Jesus took it all on the cross. That on the day of judgment, Christian, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, Romans 8.1. That we can approach and think about the day to come, our future hope of heaven, with confidence because it's not in us, it's in Jesus Christ. It's in his person and work. And with that, I can take much assurance. Dane Ortland in his book, Deeper, says it like this. I am united to Christ. I can never be disunited from him. The logic of the New Testament letters is that in order for me to get disunified from Christ, Christ would have to be de-resurrected. Think about the depths of what he's saying here. He'd have to get kicked out of heaven for me to get kicked out of him. That's how safe we are in him. When we abide in him, we're safe and secure. When we abide in him, we have blessed assurance that the Lord loves you. He accepts you. He is wanting to pour out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit that you might experience life and life to the fullest. So do we believe this love? Do we believe this gospel is our blessed assurance in his person and work? I've said that a bunch of times, blessed assurance. You're like, I hope we sing that at the end. Spoiler alert, we might. Uh, But I love this part of the hymn that says this. I am my Savior. What's that language? Abiding. I am my Savior. Am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting. Looking above. Filled with His goodness. Lost in His love. When I saw that part of the song, I had to ask myself a hard question. And I'll ask you. When was the last time you were lost in the love of God? I mean, just lost in it. Now, I'm looking around the room. Some dudes are like, man, that's hard for me. I get that. We want to be tough. But think about this as the fatherly love is being bestowed upon you. The way that, man, let's be honest, some of our fathers weren't perfect. Some of us had great dads, but they were still imperfect. But this affirmation of who we are, sorry, I'm talking to men, especially because of the love language is hard. This affirmation of who we are and that, you're his son and whom he's well, well pleased is real. And we need to experience that. Ladies, I think it's a little easier for y'all to get lost in Jesus' love. I don't know. I mean, it's still a struggle. I'm just saying maybe it's a little easier to get lost in his love and to believe that God loves you just as you are. He fully accepts you. Do we believe this in the depths of our heart? Are we engaging the spirit in this and abiding in the love that God has for us? John Calvin says it this way, that if we, we can approach God's judgment seat confidently and cheerfully because we are convinced of his fatherly love. Are you convinced of his fatherly love for you? He wants to convince you. He wants you to come. He wants you to come and to experience him. If you've been running from him or if you've been disbelieving this, he's inviting you today to, to come on, jump in. The water's great. Get lost in his love. Because when we do this, it gets to the third thing. God's love in us 
overflows first to our brothers and sisters and then puts that love on display for the world to see. That's what the rest of the passage says in verse 19 through 21, that we love because he first loved us. So I don't, I don't know if you're like me, but when I find myself not loving people really well, what I tend to do is to double down on how I can better love people. I just start thinking of ways and things I can do and things I can muster up to just love people better, just try harder. And the reality is, I'm not that great at that, so it fails pretty quick. And then I find myself dejected. I'm like, gosh, I tried to love them better, and I'm just not doing any good. And it's because I've forgotten this, that we love because we're first loved. The way that I can love you is wrapped up in, do I believe God loves me? So in 2013, I went to a conference with my wife, and we were, I was just really having a gospel explosion in my life. I don't know how else to really describe it. So I was just in awe of God, what he had done for me. I was so pumped up about it. I believed it, but I felt like it wasn't really overflowing to those around me very well. I just wasn't loving people around me very well. And in that conference, in that time, the Lord revealed to me, you know why you're not loving people very well? Because you're having this gospel explosion in your life. Uh, And you really think you believe my love, but you really don't. And I found myself in that moment, like the guy in Mark 9 saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to believe that you love me at the deepest root of who I am. I think that we all, that's the question we all want to have answered is, am, am, am I lovable? And in Jesus Christ, the father says, absolutely. I am crazy about you. Do we believe that? Because if we do, and we abide in his love, it's going to overflow to those around us. We're going to put the gospel on display in the lives of others and for the community to see. So we need to check and to see if our love is rooted in God's love, and then a fruit of that is that we would love others. And i got to be honest, it's got to start here in the church. Notice what he said. He said, love for the brothers. we got to start right here in this room. Because if we can love one another in this room... It's going to transform this church. And I mean like really love each other in a sacrificial way, in a forgiving way, in a reconciling way. All the things that God's love does in us needs to flow into the life of this church. We need to offer that out to one another. We need to extend it to one another. Even in our brokenness and failed attempts to love each other, we need to come after each other and to draw them back in with the love of Christ and the gospel and to restore one another. If we do that, it's going to transform this church. And that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to transform his people to be such a loving people that we are known for our love. And that when we go out and live it out in this community, Chelsea experiences people who are loved by God. And then guess what? Verse 12 happens. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You catch that? How does God's love get perfected? Isn't it already perfect and awesome? Yes. But when we abide in him and we're loving one another, we show the world who God is and his love is perfected. This is our work. Our work is to love one another in such a way that we go display it in Chelsea and guess what we wouldn't have to do anymore? Evangelize. Is that weird to say? Here's why. We would be loving each other in such a radical way that people would be knocking down the doors of this church to be a part of it. Oh my goodness, how do y'all love this way? Oh my goodness, how are you so gracious? How are you so merciful? Where does that come from? I want it too. They'll be asking us. 
I don't have to go up and ask them weird spiritual questions. I just got to display the love of God and love them well and do it with you. And you come alongside me and we do this together. And we will transform this church. And I guarantee you, we'll transform this community. Now, this is not easy, right? It's not easy to love people the way God has loved us. But if we allow God's love to really get in our bones and transform our heart, slowly over time, God's going to do it. And we're going to be better people for it. And so is this community as we seek to love them with the gospel. If you take a moment, just close your eyes where you're at, bow your head. Nothing magical about that. Just gives you a chance to focus for a minute. And I want you to ask God, what do I need to hear this morning? Do I really believe you love me and fully accept me in Jesus Christ in such a way that it could change my life? Help me to abide in you. As you're thinking about these things, let the Holy Spirit in this moment speak to you as we respond to him through song. Maybe you want somebody to to pray with. Michael and I are going to be down front. And if you need some blessed assurance and you need somebody to speak the gospel over you, pray for you, whether it's the first time you believe or the millionth time, we're going to be down front for you. So if you want some prayer, man, pray. Come, Come let us pray for you. Pray where you're at. Engage the words of the song we're about to sing. Let's respond to God's glorious gospel in whatever way he's calling us to. So, Lord, we're here for you. Speak to us in this time. Christ's name.